Hello and welcome. I'm Liz Ward and this is the Slick Pivot Sessions. This is the podcast where I dig, delve and deconstruct the journeys of people who have successfully pivoted their careers. I know it can feel rough when you're at a pivot point, so we'll be stripping back the sugar coating and uncovering the pitfalls and progress of our guests, unearthing some practical advice for those of you wanting to make a change. Stay listening for help in cracking the formula for making a pivot in your life or work. My hope is by sharing the pivot stories, it sparks inspiration on how to design your work life for more happiness and growth. Because I believe that life is too short to do work that doesn't make you happy. Today's episode is brought to you by The Marshmallowist, gourmet marshmallows in unexpected flavours. If you're stuck for a Mother's Day gift, or you want something more fun than wine and a box of chocolates to take to your next dinner party, then these marshmallows are for you. You can choose your flavours from raspberry and champagne, blueberry and gin, or my own favourite, toasted coconut. To save 15% on your next order, simply go to themarshmallowist.com and enter the code SLICKPIVOT at the checkout. Why not treat someone today to some mallow love? Today I'm thrilled to be joined by Susie Redding, the best-selling author and expert on self-care, founder of the Nourish app and all-round zen well-being superhero. Her three books, Self-Care Revolution, Stand Tall Like a Mountain and The Little Book of Self-Care are amazing guides for using self-care to build your strength, essentials for your bedside table. There have been many pivot points in Susie's career, from personal trainer to health coach to charter psychologist to yoga teacher and author and well-being expert. We dive deep into Susie's pivot journey in this interview, bringing you loads of gems of insight and inspiration. Susie says herself, self-care is healthcare. Well, we should all get that on a t-shirt. It's essential for us to top up our energetic bank balances, to be able to pivot from a place of strength. And Susie did just that and tells us how to do it too. I tell you, this conversation had me changing a few habits afterwards. I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. And if you do like what you hear, drop us a review and a rating on wherever you get your podcasts. Reviews really help us to grow this podcast, reach more people and bring you fantastic guests like Susie. Let's do this. So, Susie, hello. Welcome to the Slick Pivot Sessions. Hi, Liz. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited about our conversation and diving into the pivot points along your journey and hearing how you ended up being this zen expert in self-care really supporting people in their challenges and um, you know today we're going to talk about how that all came about. So could you start by giving us a a quick overview of the pivot points through your career and then we can dive into dissecting some of those. It would be a delight. Okay lots of crazy twists and turns. Um, I embarked on psychology for my degree, but there was a little pivot even before then. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to be a writer, but I missed out on journalism by 0.2 of a mark, and I was gutted. And that was journalism at university? Journalism at university in Australia. 
And I was very lucky. My wise older brother said to me, you know how to write. You don't need to study how to write. Go and study something that you can write about. Uh, and psychology was a passion. So that's what I did. And then when I finished that degree of six years, I accidentally moved to the UK. It was meant to be a three-month holiday that then turned into seven years. And there were some parts of my degree that weren't recognised here by the British Psychological Society. And I fancied staying because I was having such a ball. So I started work in um, a gym in London. So did that mean that you couldn't practice as a psychologist? Yes. There were some short bridging things that I would have need, needed to have done. But after six years at uni, I was like, no, I'm, I'm, this is, I'm here just to have a little bit of a holiday and work so I can stay longer. Yeah, so, so you made the most I, of it. Yeah, I just wanted to have a bit of fun. It was so liberating. Mm. Um, so I started working at a gym, which is what I was doing as my part-time job. So I already had that qualification. Um, and what was meant to be a two-month holiday turned into seven years. And what I didn't realise is that Australian personal trainers were held in very high regard. Huh? So I worked for a year as a gym instructor which we can dive into why that was crazy because it was like I earned 12K. Right. I don't even know how I survived. Anyhow, um, started my own business working as a personal trainer, did the yoga teacher training qualifications um, and worked pretty much as a health coach as well. But it was in 2009 when we moved back to Sydney um, to start a family mm. and that's really where life happened and I sort of I felt like I earned my stripes as a human being and wanted to practice as a psychologist again and obviously because my qualifications were from Australia I was able to refresh things and 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 become chartered there so that's when I started practicing as a psychologist offering so is that when you were pregnant or after the baby after having Charlotte yeah yeah so when she was about two that's when I uh had a career rebirth yeah working in a different way um, and we lived in Sydney for five years, moved back here, um, and there was another pivot there. So when I moved back to the UK, I thought, okay, I can work as a personal trainer, I can work as a yoga teacher, I can work as a coach, what do people want? Mm. And things have evolved enormously from there. So I'm still working as a psychologist, but I'm now a writer. And then there are some, some more recent pivots where um, working with brands and... Um, yeah, I'm still learning what that's all about. Yeah. And so what's really interesting is, you know, at that moment before you were going to go to university and you wanted to write, mm -hmm. you, know, you now have written three fabulous books, more in the pipeline. You know, I know we were talking before about your vision for your books in the future mm -hmm. and you are living out that original mm -hmm. dream. Yeah. However, you didn't follow the path that you mm -hmm. thought you were going to follow to become that writer. So, so tell me then, so tell me what it felt like when you were back in Australia and you were working in the sports industry mm -hmm. and you know what happened what what was the turning point to bring you back into psychology um I always knew so even when I was working as a personal trainer I knew that I was doing something atypical so I'd have people coming to me with the the standard kind of goals of wanting to change their physical shape but the results they were getting was different you know it was how how they felt in their body how they navigated stress um how they felt about themselves so I knew I was still working as a therapist 
but mm. under a different title. Right. But it was really, for me, being tested by life and and having my own dark night of the soul. You know, mm. when for me it was motherhood colliding with my father's terminal illness and it was a long, drawn-out period of stress and loss and grief and having my own experience of energetic bankruptcy. Yeah. Um, I felt to be authentic and to be able to practice with an understanding and an empathy for what my clients were going through, I needed to have experienced it myself. Mm. So it was that life experience that sort of um, enabled me to build a toolkit that I now share with my clients. And I know that you wrote, you write about that experience Mm -hmm. when your daughter was born and your father was really sick um, in your first book, Self Care Mm -hmm. Revolution. And that must have been, the way that you describe it, it must have been, you know, really, really hard. It sounded like you didn't know where things were going to go at that point in time. No, I had no idea. I mean, it was literally, I didn't know how I was going to look after myself, let alone look after my little girl and then, you know, some career rebirth down the track. It was it was just, we're all in survival mode. Mm. Yeah. So what did, what did the future look like at that point? Could you see anything? Uh... Not on the career front, man. I, I just it was, it was just literally getting through each day. Mm. But then, as, um, as life got easier and things got smoother, so for four months, Dad was in intensive care, and it was a matter of we had, we had no idea what was going on. But then he did. Um, he was never well enough to come home. He went to a high level care a nursing home. Um, so we'd visit him, and things got smoother. And Mum didn't have to be by his hospital bed, you know from nine in the morning till six at night anymore. So mm. things opened up and, and there I knew that at that point I knew I wasn't going to go back to work in a gym. Yeah, I knew I wanted to work with people and support them through similar experiences of stress, loss and change. And that whether that was on a yoga mat, you know, using movement or whether it was out in nature's beauty, taking walks and talks, I knew things were going to look different then. But also I, I had a, a, a real... I had a different head on my shoulders mm. um, and I was really working hard at, at building a toolkit of nourishing practices that were accessible to people because from my experience, the things that I used to do to take care of myself, and I, you know, I was ensconced in well-being on all fronts from you know, the personal training, the yoga, the psychology, but all of the things that I used to do to nourish myself became inaccessible in that time of squeeze. Um, so I worked really hard at finding ways to take care of myself that didn't take time, didn't take energy. Yeah. Because with a newborn bird. Yeah. and with a, you know, the family priorities going on and caring for others, that mm. your time is, as you say, it's a squeeze. Absolutely. And you're stretched into all different places and you're, you're trying to live out many, many, many roles. That's right. And so what I'm hearing is that you, it was about, you know, how do you rebuild you within yes. that crazy time of yes. turbulence? Yes, that that's absolutely the words I would use. How could I put myself back together? Mm. Yeah, yeah. And but, so what did you do? Um, I got really mindful of how I was spending my time. And there was already already a lot of movement. I couldn't get Charlotte to sleep. So <laughs> I, I used to call it the pram pilgrimage. I was out in nature's beauty. I mean, we lived on the northern beaches of Sydney. It was an incredibly beautiful place. So there were two walks a day to get her to sleep. Um, but then it was making mindful choices. It, when Charlotte was born, I was just in such a fog. I literally couldn't think straight, 
couldn't mm. see the forest for the trees. I knew I needed to be doing things to take better care of myself, but I didn't know how. Um, and I'd find myself when Charlotte was having a sleep at home, I'd watch Days of Our Lives and Bold and the Beautiful and it was just, you know, if you're not depressed before you watch that stuff, <laughs> you will be after it. So it was a matter of realising, hey, I'm filling my downtime with toxic stuff here. Right. Stop scrolling, stop watching rubbish on the TV. I didn't have the energy to do the kind of yoga practice that I did before. I couldn't get to classes. I don't want to go for a run. Mm. Um, coffee with friends felt like it was too difficult to plan. But what I could do was roll out my yoga mat and have a little sleep on it. <laughs> and I did that for months on end, restorative yoga pro poses, until I felt a natural resurgence of energy where I wanted to be standing again. Yeah. And it was just little bit by little bit, even that if it was five minutes. Little by little, really, mm -hmm. really gentle yep. and really kind to yourself. Yes. And so yes. you started to restore yourself and, and get more strength. And so how do we get from there to, you know, writing a book about mm -hmm. it? Okay. So that moved to Australia. I thought that would be forever, that right. we ended up being there for five years. Um, I was lucky that following my father's passing, there was time to really focus on rebuilding my energy and, and thinking about how I could, you know, this, mine the silver linings. You know, what, did I, what had I learnt from those experiences and how could I put that into a framework, into a toolkit that I could help empower others with. So I knew that self-care, that phrase, mm. I knew that that was a concept I wanted to work with. Um, we visited my husband's family here in the UK for a holiday and it was really clear at that point that his father wasn't going to be around for much longer. And having had the privilege of being with my dad, I wanted Dave to have that. So we packed up Sydney life. We sold our flat. We moved back here. Big, big pivot there. Another big pivot. But it was it was heart-led. Yeah. You know, and there was a real purpose to it. And um, and I'm glad we did, did it then because my father-in-law only survived another 10 months. So we had 10 months with him. He got to meet his grandson. I fell pregnant in the interim when we decided we were going to move here I fell pregnant so we, we arrived when I was 12 weeks pregnant and it was like I, I said to myself I've got I've kind of got four months here to build something that I can return to after having Ted so I went hammer and tongs trying to build connections and relationships and um and see what people were interested in so yeah. I started teaching yoga so you really used that pregnancy I, I also launched my business when I was pregnant and I know quite a few of the people that have done that. Like after they get through the feeling mm -hmm. sick thing that kind of yes. dissipates about 16 weeks, um, I found such clarity in that, in that period yes. of time. It's like you have this deadline before the baby comes. What can I do? What can I experiment with mm -hmm. between now and then? That sounds like you That's did the right. same yeah. thing. I just wanted to lay some foundations yeah. so that... Because, you know, having building a new business is having a baby in itself. Mm. And I didn't want to be doing the two simultaneously. So I'm, I'm glad I did that because the first work that I returned to was teaching a mummy and baby yoga class where I got to take my little boy mm. and my mummy. They both came along with me for me to teach that this class. And I did that for years on end. And it was a really beautiful way of being of service yeah. and of, of meeting the kind of people who I, I wanted to help from a psychological perspective with the transition to motherhood. Um, so it's like you were combining everything yeah. you had and, and adding yes. in the new bits, like the baby that come into yes, your life. So you added right. that into the fitness yes. experience that you had yes. and made it work for you. You could take your baby to work. That's right. And the other way that um, this is where the book came from. 
So I wanted to be present for Teddy, but still make a contribution on the work front. So I was able to write when he was asleep. He slept much better than Charlotte did. So I'd peck at the keyboard. And that first book was actually sort of a a melding of of hundreds of different blog posts. So it was bringing together. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, it it was this thing that kind of made sense of all of my experiences leading up to that point, but also a way that I could be of service and make a difference. So you'd already been blogging. That's quite interesting because I, yeah. I know quite a few people that are in the process of writing a book or, or, or want to write a book. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what 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 worked for you in terms of getting that book out of the door? What do you think the things leading Ooh. up to that point were. Do you know what, there was, there was some real, what are the words, moments of beautiful synchronicity mm-hmm. that led to that book coming to fruition. So the original manuscript was a collection of blog posts put together. I found an agent through traditional roots. I, I bought that red handbook, art, the, the artist's handbook, and I found an agent through that. Like I really worked So hard. you went and found an agent. I found an agent. You're like, who's the agent for me? Yeah, I contacted, so I did a short list uh-huh. of agents that I thought would be the right fit, contacted three, I got a response from two, and one of them took me on. But it took six months for her to actually say, yes, I'll take you on. But that original manuscript, collection of blog posts, but with her suggestion, um, was to write a narrative thread through it. So there was a significant rewrite at that point. And then I'd been working with a journalist, just giving some expert quotes on self-care. I retweeted that. UMAG article. Yeah. The publisher who ended up taking on the book saw that retweet, got in touch with me, and I'm like, I've kind of found the publisher myself, but obviously my agent mm. was fantastic at negotiating that that deal, and I'm so so pleased to have her on board. But it's all of these crazy little things that led to that, led to that, led to that. Mm. And it was other things where I'd said yes to being a um, well-being expert for Neom Organics Beautiful. that opened the door to um, writing for Psychology's Mag. And I'm sure that just having that on my, my my credits made the publisher go, yeah, yeah, we'll take this one on. Yeah. So, so it's, it's that about all the things your... that you say yes to, even though they yeah. scare the pants off you. <laughs> like that Neom thing came about. Teddy was four weeks old and I got this email in my inbox saying, would you like to be our psychology expert? And I'm like, <gasps> how can I possibly do that? I've got a four-week-old baby. I don't know what I'm talking about. And I, I, I do. You but do, but you have that moment of, large. oh my goodness, they've asked me. Totally. Why have they asked me? Like, totally. how do they know about me? Like, yes. how did they know about you? Through Twitter. They right. found me on Twitter. And what were, you, yeah. and were you What were you doing on Twitter at the time? Were you just sharing tips? Or? Sharing tips, sharing blog posts. Mm. Yeah. So what's the lesson for people listening that want to... Put it out there. Share your message. Be of service. How is it that you can help people? You let them know you're there. Yeah. Yeah. Say yes to stuff, even if it really scares you. Yeah. And 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 be willing to lend a hand. I mean, so many of these things came about from me saying, "Yeah, sure, I'm really happy to do that for you." And then they introduced me to another person, and I think that's what's really blown me away by this last chapter in the UK. Just how kind and generous people are, and how willing people are to champion you with 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 nothing in return. They they just want to see people flourish. It's, it's it's an amazing thing. Yeah, I think that's the energy I get from you, though. So I think you're kind of putting that out, and I, I definitely think that you get what you 
what you put out and so you're seeing that return because your your energy is just so beautiful (laughs) I feel very very lucky very blessed yeah and so so you've been you've been in action you had this message you were Mm -hmm. you you know it sounds like you've been really inspired by uh I think you know the term's post-traumatic growth isn't it when something happens and you kind of rise out the other side inspired with knowledge that you want to share and you're almost energized to doing that and you Mm -hmm. were doing that you were blogging you were tweeting you're creating that content and then Mm -hmm. it kind of all started merging into into the book and Mm -hmm. and the new business in Mm -hmm. in the UK and so what happened after that the first book came out first book came out and that was such a such a joy to actually have something that I could hold in my hands and say yes I went through all of that but look look at the gem that we've been able to to create following that um, and and then it's just been interesting seeing how life changes once you have a book. <laughs> um, there have been some amazing speaking opportunities, um, lots of panel events, which I love. And I, I love that, I mean, I was just lucky with the timing, self-care. When I first started talking about it, 50% of the people coming to my workshops were them. This is the first time I've heard of this concept. Mm. A decade later, we're all, we all know about it, right? So there was some, there was something really interesting about being of that moment, like when when my book came out, um, which was there two, three, 2007, 2017, 2017, yes, um, and it was like December, and there were three other books that came out on self care within a win- like a window of a month. Mm. Were you like, oh no, like, oh my god? But we 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 just rode the crest of that wave. But previous to that, my agent was saying to me, "Can we call it mindfulness? Can we call it something else?" I'm like, "No, this is a thing. Believe me, and it is a thing. Clearly." But um, but you're almost on the cusp of it becoming, um, you know, uh, something in our everyday. Yes. Because it's it's it, sometimes I think that the zeitgeist that's the right word, mm. isn't it? Um, I think that it gets a bit of a bad rep. Like I've yes. been I've been involved in panels and certain yes. situations where I've heard people say, "Oh, you know, it's just spa days and painting yes. your nails and things like that." Yes. Now. I know that you believe it is not those things. Um, I'd love you to share, like, what is self-care to you? And, oh, and what And what do you teach? Thank you for the opportunity. I find it incredibly frustrating. And it's it's painted all sorts of things in the media. Like, it's it's a fad, it's a buzzword, it's narcissism, it's well-being gone mad. And all of that is rubbish. I mean, when you look at it, from where it's come from in my life, it is those words of, it is the stuff that put me back together. It's the thing that now keeps me going. It's the stuff that gives me a protective buffer against the next curveball because life is inherently stressful. And it's not just stuff you don't want like illness and conflict and and stress. It's things you do want like having a family, moving house, getting married, planning a holiday. All of these things incur an energetic tax. So the definition of self-care, it's not spa days necessarily. Self-care is health care. It's nourishing yourself, head, heart and body. And I, I'm really passionate about fleshing out what that means because I think we're all well-versed in what it is that we need to do to take care of our physical health. There's no stigma around brushing your teeth or going to the gym. But when it comes to mental health, emotional health, I think we need a far greater, more open, honest dialogue and a much better toolkit because I think to navigate big life-changing experiences or big emotions because stuff hasn't been modelled for us. Mm. 
yeah, if you've not experienced it before, you're going into the unknown, yeah. then how do we know what to do? That's it. And no one is immune. And from my experience, even with the toolkit that I had. Yeah, because you were in a really good place, experience. you could argue that you had yeah, a psychology I had degree. I my fingertips reach, but until you've been tested by life. One, you don't really, I think a lot of us, we don't give ourselves permission to engage in self-care because we feel like that's diverting precious resources away from the stuff that's required of us. But what I learned firsthand is that if you let self-care fall away, how can you take care of others? Mm. Yeah, if you can't do it for you, do it for them. You know, my, my kids need me to keep giving and keep going. So I need to nourish myself so I can do that. So what would happen to you when you weren't doing it? Oh, my goodness. Oh, so these are some of the things that I experienced. Um, totally muddled thinking, like an adult brain, couldn't think straight. Um, very reactive, very emotional, really teary, prone to anger, frustration, like total, like tiny stress tolerance, like the tiniest thing would freak me out. Big noises, couldn't handle noise and overstimulation. Mm. Um, lost my appetite, lost my, um, found it really hard to sleep. And what I noticed is that one poor decision leads to another poor decision. It's like this negative spiral. I'm not going to eat dinner. I just want to go to bed. I'm so tired. Yeah. And then the next morning I wake up hangry, have a coffee, you know, and it's one poor decision leads to another. But conversely, one good decision leads to the upward spiral of energy. I'm going to eat breakfast. I'm going to feed my brain so I can think straight. Ah, later on, I'm not so stressed by this array of events. Yes, I will go for that walk. Yes, I will pick up the phone and talk to that person. Maybe I won't see them face to face in that noisy place because that's still too much. But there's, there are ways of connecting. Yeah. And that's how you rebuild your life. And it's these little micro moments of nourishment that can make all the difference. Yeah, that resonates so much with me. I mean, I know that when I was, when I was in my burnt out state and I, I was working, I always call myself, I, I feel like now I'm, I'm a recovering workaholic perfectionist because I've had to try and let go of so many things. But what, I, what was going out of the window was those moments of looking after me I was prioritizing everything else in a stressful situation and and therefore not actually being able to think clearly mm -hmm. and I remember at one point it would take me like three hours to write a really really basic email to mm -hmm. somebody that made me nervous because I was overthinking and catastrophizing and like the what's the worst thing that could possibly happen you know and um you know with hindsight now I look back on it and see quite clearly that I was not sleeping very well I was mm -hmm. not putting the right things into my body mm -hmm. I was not taking a breath just stepping back and getting a little bit making a plan um all those basics and when you start rebuilding those into your life you, you become so much more resilient mm -hmm. yes that's it. That's the nub of it. So for people that say self-care is indulgent and it's all these luxurious practices, it's like, no, let's get to the nitty gritty. It helps us cope in the moment. It helps us heal and restore. It gives us a protective buffer. So that's the resilience piece that comes in there. Because when you are energetically topped up, when you're well nourished, mm. that's when you're best placed to cope with whatever it is that comes around the corner. It gives you access to who it is that you aspire to be. So anything that you aspire to achieve in life or be in life, any quality you aspire to possess, you're more likely to be that and achieve that when you've taken care of yourself. And if you're a parent, 
We all want to raise compassionate, resilient kids, Mm. model self-care for them, teach them self-care because that's what they need to be, compassionate, resilient kids. Absolutely. It's so important that we, yeah, we model it for them mm. and give we do them it together. the tips. Do it together. Yes. Um, I know with my daughter, we've started to just do a bit of breath work. She's only three. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and at first she'd just be like, no, mommy, I don't want to do that. But now, like, if she gets a bit stressed, we do that five, the hand thing. Yes. Um, you can't see this on the, yep. on the audio. Um, but like breathing with your fingers, yes. going up and down on your fingers. And um, she loves that now. And now when she feels a bit hurt, I said, should we do the hand breathing? Yeah. And um, it's just kind of making it normal. Um, and I, you know, yes. I think for me, I'd only got into like meditation and, uh, and you know, mindfulness when, when I was, you know, over 30 and mm-hmm. always thought it was a lot of mumbo jumbo and quite difficult. But what I love about what you're doing is you're making it really accessible. So you you had the first book. You started to build your business in the UK, and mm-hmm. I know now you're doing. A, you know, you're working a lot around with children and yeah. um, and creating tools for parents. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us more about how that's kind of evolved? Yes. Well, my my sweet Charlotte wanted to read Self Care Revolution, and given that I, I I talk very candidly about my transition to motherhood and how difficult I found it. That's not suitable for her to read just ah, yet. Okay. When she's a teenager, then she can find out about the tough time she gave me. Not yet. Um, How but, old is she now? So she's nine. Right. She's nine. There were tools in the book that I wanted to share with her. And so over a summer holiday, um, we did a little self-care journal where every day we did a different self-care practice that was basically tailored for, for her from self-care revolution, but making it appropriate for a, a little girl and her little brother to engage in. Mm. And after a summer of that, I thought, wow, there's, there's loads here. But at the time, I'm thinking, I'm not a child psychologist. I'm not an educational psychologist. Is it okay for me to write a book around this? Oh, so thought, you had a thing, like, can I be yeah. in this space? Yeah. Am yes, I allowed I can. here? Yes, I can. Because one, I'm a self-care expert. I am a psychologist. And I'm a parent. So that's where Stand Tall Like a Mountain came from. I wanted to, well, originally, I wanted to write a book that she could read, mm. it, it morphed into something different because the publisher wanted something for parents. Right. And, and that was fine. It's, it's worked out beautifully. So this book is designed for parents to read, but to, to work through with their kids. And now that Charlotte's nine, she's old enough to pick that up and use it as a resource for her. But there's still room for another book that is just for me. <laughs> I, I that, see that in your later. eyes. And that's okay. <laughs> you know, it's all right for, for a vision to not be exactly as you had planned. I mean, it, it, that I'm so proud of Stand Tall Like a Mountain. I love that I have so many parents saying to me, that thing was so helpful. That helps me understand that this empowers me with things that I can do. So I, I, it, it fulfilled a really beautiful purpose. It was just slightly different to what I had in mind at the time. And it's almost maybe like, often I see with people's pivots and what they're trying to create is that we almost need to go like on the stepping stones along to it. Yes. You've gone from the grown up book to the parents being able to work with children. And then, you know, that the, the children's book might be next. Well, it it is. I'm, I'm, that's, that's the next manuscript. And I feel totally comfortable working in that sphere now. I can own it Mm. because of that experience. So that was, I hadn't seen it that way. Yeah. But that was a really useful stepping stone to help me really own this space. Yeah. yeah. And so what are your big learnings along the way of this kind of evolution that you've been on? And, you know, mm-hmm. if you think about the 
each time you've had a, a next stage, a pivot point to like, okay, I'm, I'm going to move into this area. Mm-hmm. When you look back, what can you see mm-hmm. are your big learnings? I, I can see that there were lots of risks. There were lots of really big leaps, leaps of faith. Mm. Um, and I, I can remember at the time thinking this doesn't make sense. And in some ways it didn't make sense. Like that first job, I've got a master's degree. I came out and, and worked for 12K. That didn't make sense. But What was going on for you then? Well, I just wanted to stay in the UK and it was just an easy way of, I, I was living with my brother. You know, it wasn't yeah. like I had huge overheads. So they're like, the measure like, of success was stay in the UK, have some kind of job. Yeah, but also learn because I, 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 I was still learning and I was working with people in a different way. And, and that year, that's when I, they sent me off on doing all these different group exercise class courses and I learned a load. After that, then I started my own business as a personal trainer, but I needed that time working with bodies, mm. hundreds of people to feel comfortable saying, yeah, I'm an expert in that. So it was formative time. And then that time working as a PT, that's where I really learnt the inseparable nature of mental health and physical health and that I could be working with someone from a psychological perspective and using movement and postural work and breath work and creating change. It didn't have to just be talk therapy. So all of these things, in some senses, they were a bit crazy, but in other senses, it was like I am... I know how I want to work with people. I'm building a skill set. And I'm also, I'm drawing on my strengths. So there was an insight into how I feel that I can best be of service as a human being and building on that. Mm. So all of those things have led me to this place. Did it feel like that at the time? um, Or were you like, what am I doing? Or were you A bit of both. A bit of both. There was, I mean, I, I... Working as a PT, seeing how other people were working and thinking, oh, I'm a fish out of water here. But that was the thing that actually I I worked in a different way and I worked with different people and I achieved different results. So there were I used to call it therapy by stealth or treadmill therapy because people were still getting counselling and coaching, but we were doing something else. It was like, what did I say? It was like work out what's on your mind while working your body. Mm. And, and that's and, and that's still what I do because I take people for walk and talk sessions. Yeah. But it's it was having faith that there was a purpose to it. Yeah. Like you there knew, was always a you purpose. You knew that in your heart it was always about helping people. Yeah. And in the way that you, you could do that. So yes. you were following, you know, being true to your values, being true to your purpose yes. in all of the parts of the journey. Yes, but the way that I do it and the modalities that I draw on has changed with my life experience and my training. Yeah. Yeah. But there, there's always been that thread through. Lovely. And what yeah. are the learnings? Um, there is time. Time. There is time. I'm, I'm still in a hurry mm. and I'm still frustrated with myself for not achieving more. So <laughs> learning that lesson. That's the lesson I want to say I've learned, but I'm still learning it. Isn't that crazy? I'm the there same. There is time. It's okay. Um, compassion is another lesson. Self-compassion. Please be tender and kind to yourself. Um, I think quite often we fall into this habit of self-flagellation, thinking that that's going to garner better performance. I think it seldom does. Mm. Yeah, I think we do a much better job when we are gently coaxing ourselves, encouraging. Um, so that's that's a big learning. 
Yeah. And um, what would you say your kind of high five moments have been? Can you think of someone you're like, you know, let's pick yourself up a bit now. Like, what were those moments you're like, oh, wow, I'm so pleased about that. I'm so pleased that I pulled that off. I think the feedback that I got from that postnatal yoga class, that will always have a very, very um, pl- a place close to my heart because that's where I was really able to be there for people. I love that. Um, I think each of my books... Yeah. Self-care revolution, that was such a moment. That was like, oh, my God, I've actually done that thing that I talked about 20 years ago of studying something I could write about, and here it is. Mm. Um, I'm really proud that that book came from a place of being tested but turning it into something constructive and useful. Um, so that's – how many is that? Is that that's three? two. One more. Oh, Okay. I'm 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 excited about what lies ahead actually. Yeah. I think there are some there are some seeds. I can see where this is going. That I'm I'm excited that I've now got I've got the platform and I've got the means and I've got, I I love my little Monday micro moment session. Oh yeah, tell us about yeah. that. So you do this fabulous thing on Instagram every Monday at nine o'clock. Tune in to Susie. Oh, thank you, Liz. It's, it's building a community. It's where we come together to build the self-care habit. And I'm, I'm really proud of that, that people actually set a little alarm for themselves mm. so we can tune in. And um, each week we talk about a different theme or a different struggle that we're all sharing. And I'm really proud of that. Yeah, but it's, actually, it's your Instagram created, is a really beautiful place, and it, and it, 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 that kindness and energy just kind of flows out of your Instagram page. So everyone should follow Susie Redding on Instagram. <laughs> um, lovely. And so, what would the old you say to the new you? Wow, you've done it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's it, you know it's so interesting looking at that timeline and realizing. There were so many things that I wanted to do that have actually come to fruition. Like, I'm, I'm doing it. You're it's, doing it. I'm doing it. But you trusted yeah. time. You had compassion. Yeah. You know, you, you were playing on your strengths. Yes. And I said yes to stuff that scared me. And I put my hand up and said, oh, my God, give it a go. Yeah. Be courageous. Be bold. But yeah. Be kind. Kind, courageous yeah. and bold. And so as a self-care expert, mm-hmm. what tips would you give to... Um, just to people that are listening that are in that point where they want to pivot but they're they're kind of mm-hmm. they're I know for where I was I, I would describe myself as literally being on the floor mm-hmm. <laughs> energetic, energetic bankruptcy I did, I was strikes a chord energetically bankrupt I had yep. no clue and although yep. I had I had hope because I knew I knew that I had skills but I said mm-hmm. you know my life is a blank sheet of paper I'm literally like okay and what am I doing here um, emotionally mm. and physically, I was so drained. So what would mm. be your tips mm-hmm. for someone in that position? Okay, I would prioritise nourishment mm. and understand that from that nourishment, your best pivot will come. Yeah? So it's it's hooking into the why. It's understanding what self-care facilitates, that this is the stuff that allows you to think with creativity, with clarity. This is the stuff that allows you to dig deep. So you've got to put something back into the energy bank before you can ask anything of the body, ask anything of the mind. Mm. You know, take those bold steps, be courageous, 
Yeah, be creative. We've got to top ourselves back up. But the thing is, it doesn't have to be grand elaborate acts. It can be really simple stuff like watching a sunset or asking for a hug or reaching out to someone for help or just extending tenderness towards yourself and throwing yourself a freaking bone. Mm. Yeah. So it's, it's really being very tender and taking action to fill yourself back up so that you've got the reserves to take that next step. Yeah. So fill yeah. those reserves first. Yes. The clarity will come from that. That's right. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so what would you say is, uh, I'm asking every guest this, and you, you, you've probably kind of covered it in what we've said, but what would you say the formula is for, for pivoting? Ooh, that's interesting. Like what are the elements that are important for okay. you personally in, okay, in for terms me of personally, your next change? Each pivot has been around self-insight. You've got to know yourself. You've got to know what it is that you bring to the table. What is the stuff that makes your heart sing? What's the stuff that makes you feel like you're making a contribution? And then there's got to be a match. You've got to think about who is it that needs what you're doing and then reach out to those people, let them know that you're there. Um, is there anything else? Nourishment. Nourishment, yeah. Yeah, you've got to take care of yourself because health, it's our number one commodity. Without our health, what do we have? Okay, so yes, get to know yourself. Yes, put it out there, do the hard yards, but also make sure that you are taking tender, loving care of yourself so that you can last the distance. Thank you so much. It's been absolute joy to hear about your story. And so what is next for you and where can we find you? Well, there's another little writing project and then there's some opportunities to collaborate with brands, which is really fun. Yeah. Yeah, so just it's again, it's more more self care, but it's empowering a, a different, an audience in a different way. Um, and Instagram is the place where I hang out the most. Yeah, come and join me for a Monday micro moment session, or or my books. Yeah, I'll put the links to your books in the show notes so that everyone can uh, dive in. I've got to say that so full of practical tips and, um, you know, the self-care revolution is a book that you can have by your bedside just to dive into and get something, you know, that you need that day. So thank you for coming on and thank you for this message that you're putting out into the world. Oh, such a great choice. I'm so grateful for the opportunity. We're in it together, aren't we? Yeah. You've been listening to the Slick Pivot Sessions with me, Liz Ward, the podcast for life's achievers and believers. I hope you've enjoyed listening as much as I've enjoyed talking. Please take a moment to rate and review us on Apple or Google or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps us to grow and continue to bring you amazing guests. The show notes have all the links and references from today's session. And for one-to-one -one coaching or to find out about my Pivot Power programs, log on to slickpivot.com. Until our next session together, stay nimble and remember, no pivot is ever slick.